Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance and our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. It's good to be with you here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. On Wednesdays, I always take a moment to remind you to pray to St. Joseph. He is a powerful intercessor, so again, don't forget to go to Joseph. You can always find us on Twitter, at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook. And if you want to send us an email directly, it's morningair at relevantradio.com. I want to bring in our Morning Air team, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories that are making headlines on this Wednesday morning? Well, it's always good to check ahead if you uh, are heading to the airport to go on a flight somewhere, uh, especially today. There have been some problems early this morning. It looks like things are starting to get ironed out, but air travel being complicated across the country. All flights were grounded uh, in the last hour for a while. FAA said a notice to air missions computer system had failed. It's something that provides vital info to those involved in flight operations, all flights, again, were grounded following the incident. FAA has stressed that technicians are working to restore the system, and there have been reports of some flights now taking off, but uh, starting the uh, the lineup today with, with some delays. So do check ahead if you're headed to, to the airport there as well. President Biden says well, he was kind of surprised to learn that there were some top-secret documents found in an office that he had used for several years. When my lawyers were clearing out my office at the University of Pennsylvania, they set up an office for me. They found some documents in a box, you know, locked cabinet. And as soon as they did, they realized there were several classified documents in that box. I was briefed about this discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office. And Glenn, obviously, uh, a lot of folks are c- comparing th- this uh, uh, latest uh, situation with President Biden's uh, classified documents to uh, former President uh, Trump uh, and the uh, Mar-a-Lago documents. The Department of Justice uh, is still deciding on uh, what exactly to do with the Trump situation. And now into the mix, the, uh, the Biden situation. They are a little bit different. Uh, on one hand, uh, Mr. Trump was uh, president when he got a hold of those uh, uh, with the ability to classify or not certain documents or declassify them, for that matter. The vice president's job a little different, but still one wonders how all of these with either man got out of uh, the safety of the White House or where they had been. Is this something you kind of take home for lunchtime reading or what? I'm not, I'm not sure. What are your thoughts on how this affects uh, the Trump situation that was uh, uh, such a big deal in, in the mainstream media a, a while back? Well, some figure, again, it's going to be a problem for the Justice Department to, to not uh, do something uh, against both men or, or neither one. And so this, while the cases are separate, uh, it might well affect how they, uh, they move forward with trying to prosecute uh, former President Trump. Meanwhile, nobody won uh, the Mega Millions last night. Uh, it's now up to $1.35 billion with a B. Uh, that means that this coming Friday the 13th, it's going to be uh, the second largest Mega Millions ever. Sarah, are you ready? 
<laughs> I'm not buying any tickets, so you can count me out of all of that. I'll just leave that to some other、uh, lucky guy or girl to win that big money. I don't usually buy tickets either, but you know, my wife, when it gets this big, she's like, hey, you know, what's one buck? It's a, it can be, well, it adds one more dollar to the pot, so someone else will be very happy. Your <laughs> wife is buying a ticket. All right, Glenn, what would you do if、uh, by some miracle you were to win? Well, first I'd have to buy a ticket, you know, and I guess I was just planning on coming to work Monday since I, I don't buy tickets for that. But if I did, like I've, one other time we chatted about this, and back in the day I used to think, oh, I'd want to buy my own radio station. And then you realize, well, running a station, that's, that's a lot of work. We already get to do the fun part, you know,、uh, talking to people and, and, and all the on air stuff. So we're kind of doing the fun part already. So,、uh, I don't know. I'd maybe expand the backyard hockey rink, perhaps. There you go. I think、um, maybe you just buy a lifetime supply of Oreos. I don't have to wait for someone else to win that、oh, sweepstakes. I'll just、idea. buy them myself. There you good go. Idea. <laughs> good idea.、Um, a betting cage for my son and a huge donation in the next、uh, relevant radio pledge drive. Oh, as, what a good guy. As to usual, say we、that. have that documented. So <laughs> if by some strange chance your wife does win,、uh, that carries over. So. All right, guys, stay tuned.、Uh, it's going to continue to swell, so we'll, we'll、uh, see what happens this coming Friday.、Uh, thanks again. As always,、uh, we always begin every morning, every show in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and patroness of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we say, Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. A number if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888-914-9149. Now,、uh, last week, President Joe Biden announced that because of the Supreme Court decision, he will continue to use Title 42 in its crackdown on illegal immigrants. In 2022 alone, there were over a reported 2 million encounters on the southern border. This past Sunday, President Biden finally, finally, Visited the border for the first time as president. Mr. Biden was slammed for not meeting with migrants during his El Paso trip, as reported on CNN. And that's why the president is being criticized by both sides because of what he didn't see. So let me show you because this is one of the migrant camps that's here in downtown El Paso. And you know, the immigration advocates here in El Paso and Governor Greg Abbott usually don't agree on much, but they do raise the same question. If President Biden came here to El Paso to see the reality on the ground about the border and he didn't come here, what's considered the epicenter of this crisis, did he leave? With a clear understanding. I checked the migrant dashboard that the city of El Paso has,、uh-huh. and at the time when the president was here, there were nearly 1,000 migrants who were in federal detention. So if the president really wanted to see conditions,、uh-huh. I kind of doubt that the president of the、yep. United States would have been denied access. 
Keep in mind that that was CNN reporting. Now, the question is, what is the current status of the border immigration and humanitarian crisis? What is really happening on the ground? Joining us live from Chattanooga, Tennessee, is political commentator Steve Cortez with much more on the border crisis. Steve uh, served as senior spokesman and strategist for the Trump 2016 and 2020 campaigns. Uh, He's been an on-air broadcaster for CNBC, Fox News, and CNN. Steve is Catholic, married, and a father of four children. Good morning, Steve. Happy New Year. Thanks so much for joining us once again. It's, it's great to be with you. Hey, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Steve, uh, can you give us an idea of what the current uh, situation is like? What is the, the status of the border crisis that we uh, have been seeing and have been uh, uh, observing for months and months uh, for the better part of the last year? Right. Well, the status, unfortunately, is absolute chaos. Um, and you're right to call it a crisis, but it is not a crisis of just, you know, sort of bad luck or, or happenstance. It is a created crisis. And what I mean by that is that Joe Biden has invited and incentivized this mass trespassing into the United States. Uh, he's done so through a massive abuse of the asylum laws of the United States. The United States has always been a very generous country, had a great heart for legitimate refugees, people who are fleeing for their lives, fleeing persecution. Um, our asylum laws, though, are, are correctly tailored in a very narrow way uh, to protect people who are fleeing for reasons of their faith or their political party, that sort of thing, and are fleeing uh, imminent danger or even death. What he has done instead is tell millions of economic migrants, people who want to come to this country because they want a better economic life, that they can come under the guise of asylum um, when they are not in any way legitimate asylum seekers. So what we've had now, you know, you mentioned two million uh, on the year, according to Daily Mail, the total number since Biden has taken office is now over uh, Daily Mail being a publication from the UK. The total number is now over five million, five million illegal migrants pouring into the United States uninvited, largely unvetted. Many of these people, we have really no idea who they are. We take their word for it on their name and their age and their place of origin uh, coming into the United States. And for many of them staying for at least years, because that's how long the asylum process takes to adjudicate, if not permanently. Um, so it is a it is a drastic change in policy. The border under um, under President Trump was not perfect, but it was orderly and it was trending in the correct direction, trending and meaning toward fewer and fewer illegal crossings as we were get, finally getting serious about protecting our border. Uh, and by the way, the reason we protect our border, I think this is important because I think Joe Biden and a lot of these uh, permissive open borders types, and I'll never use that phrase, but that's what they actually advocate for. I think they unfortunately fool a lot of people um, of faith, a lot of uh, well-meaning Catholics, frankly, by acting as if there's something merciful about an open border. Uh, it is anything but merciful. When, when we lose control, when legitimate authority loses control of the border, that power vacuum is indeed filled. Uh, and it is filled largely by the cartels. And so the Mexican cartels, who are some of the worst, most dangerous, evil organizations on earth, they now control largely the U.S.-Mexico border. And these people are not crossing without the explicit permission of the Mexican cartels. They are paying the cartels. They are effectively running the U.S. border. And because of that, um, there is all kinds, all manner of human degradation and misery going on at the border. Uh, drug trafficking, human trafficking, um, and, and this is a, a situation, a, a, you know, again, a created crisis of human misery that is bad for Mexico um, and terrible for the United States, and particularly at a time like this. You know, the economic situation in the United States is worsening. We have right now in the U.S. 
20 straight months of declining real wages, real wages, meaning your, your income adjusted for inflation. Uh, you're getting literally poor every single month. Even if your paycheck is going up, it's not going up enough to keep pace with the costs of the goods and services that you need in your life. So in that era, in this, in this uh, intense economic crisis of Americans getting poorer by the month, the idea of inviting in and incentivizing to come in millions of new people, millions of new workers to compete in the labor market unjustly and unlawfully against American citizens um, is really just the height of irresponsibility. Um, and, and this is it's madness, quite frankly. So I really have been calling very seriously upon the new incoming U.S. House. I met very recently with new Speaker McCarthy about the insistence that the U.S. House has to use the Republican House majority has to use all of its leverage to try uh, to force to compel Joe Biden to finally do his first job, which is public order. That's the first job of any elected official, whether it's a small town mayor or the president of the United States is, is establishing public order and the rule of law that has completely broken down at the border. It's a dereliction of duty. Um, and Biden needs to be held accountable. And I hope and believe, frankly, that this incoming U.S. House is going to force him to do so. Steve, uh, your thoughts on President Biden finally visiting the border uh, over the weekend. Uh, first time as a U.S. president, uh, he was uh, very much criticized on both sides for not meeting with uh, immigrants uh, during this border visit. Uh, the Border Patrol basically said that everything was all cleaned up. Uh, it was in many right. ways just a photo op. Yeah, look, let's be honest about this. This was a sanitized drive-by, right? This isn't a legitimate fact-finding mission. This wasn't him trying to see the reality on the ground at the border. What amazes me, frankly, is, it, is that this man, Joe Biden, who has been in Washington office uh, between the Senate, the vice presidency, and now the presidency, uh, he's been in office for 50 years. I mean, think about that. He was elected to the U.S. Senate in 1972. Uh, that happens to be the year I was born, by the way. I'm 50 years old. Okay, 51 now. Um, and so, I mean, think about that. I was in diapers when Joe Biden was first elected to the U.S. Senate, and I'm not a young man. Okay, I have grown children. Uh, that's how long he has served in Washington, D.C. He has never visited the border. So it's not just that he hasn't done it as president. That's bad enough with this crisis going on. He has never done it at all. Um, but, you know, to your point, the idea that he sort of stopped there along the way, uh, did a quick drive-by for pictures and for optics. And then, by the way, flew to Mexico. And this is very telling. He flew to Mexico. Um, and uh, President uh, uh, Lopez Obrador in Mexico, this was actually, to me, almost comical. I mean, it's not comical because of the crisis at our border, but it was almost comical from a political perspective um, because, of course, the Biden folks had to just hate this when the two of them were doing a press conference. And actually, it was a three-way press conference because it was also uh, Trudeau from from Canada. But anyway, during their presser, uh, uh, AMLO, as they call Lopez Amador, uh, Obrador down there, AMLO said he thanked Joe Biden. He said, you are the first president in many presidents who didn't build any wall. He said, you haven't built one meter of wall. And I want to thank you for that. Um, it was, you know, this is not something that we want to be thanked for in the United States. No, we want to have an orderly border because good fences make good neighbors. And this is important, too. It's not that we um, hate Latin Americans at all. I, I myself, uh, like millions of Americans, you know, I'm a son of an immigrant from Latin America who came here legally to this country. Uh, Latin Americans are a treasure to the United States, uh, legal immigrants to this country, legal immigrants from all over the world. But we don't lock our door. You know, I, I would use this analogy. You don't lock your door in your home because you hate those on the outside. You lock your door at night because you love those on the inside and you want to protect them. The same is true for our country. 
uh, our front door is wide open. We have no idea who is coming in. We know overwhelmingly that they are economic migrants. And we know that because they're coming from countries which are tough places to live. And I empathize very much and sympathize with the people who are fleeing places uh, that are violent, uh, that have a lack of economic opportunity. But you know what? A lot of American citizens live in that kind of situation, live on the west side of Chicago in places that are violent, that are uh, lacking in economic opportunity. Our job from a public policy perspective is to prioritize always American citizens. If we were to invite in the poor of the world, we would cease to be America and we would quickly become third world ourselves. Um, so, there, you know, again, there's nothing merciful about that. There's nothing generous or charitable um, about the idea of simply opening our doors to masses of economic migrants into this country. You know, if I can use another analogy uh, from uh, from flying, the, you know, the flight attendant says put on your own mask before trying to help others. We need to put our own mask on. We have enormous problems in this country right now, particularly economically. And by the way, you know, I mentioned the west side of Chicago. There were actually protests yesterday on the south side of Chicago because Lori Lightfoot is prioritizing illegal migrants and is going to be housing, paying for housing and feeding thousands of illegal migrants on the south side of Chicago um, in a neighborhood that is largely impoverished. And the residents of that neighborhood uh, that's made it to Fox News, they staged a protest. uh, And I congratulate them on that because they said, why are you prioritizing illegals over American citizens who live in this neighborhood who are, are struggling. Um, and I think that may be a growing movement. I think that may be the beginning of a movement that will gain credence um, and popularity in this country. And, and, and it should, because they are correct. We should be prioritizing always American citizens, many of whom, by the way, happen to be black and brown Americans. You know, the idea that there's something racist about us insisting on border policy is an absurdity, of course. America is not a race. Uh, we are a great multiracial republic. Um, when we say that we're protecting American citizens, that has nothing to do with race, neither of our citizens nor of the people who want to enter this country. Uh, we're protecting citizens, whether they are white, brown, black or purple. Um, we should be prioritizing our people. Steve, in the final moments that we have, uh, why is the issue of fentanyl deaths and the human trafficking not on the minds of many Americans? Most Americans that are not even really aware of just how serious this issue is. It's been right. largely ignored uh, by the mainstream media and by the administration. You know, so for the last two years, we had a really grim milestone in this country. We have over 100,000 overdose deaths in both 2021 and 2022. We've never had that before. It's been a record, unfortunately, tragically, both years. A huge part of that overdose crisis is fentanyl. Um, People who are taking the fentanyl itself or unwittingly taking fentanyl because it is laced into so many other illicit drugs. Um, And so this is a very real crisis. The ingredients for fentanyl come from China. Uh, I think we need to take significant action against China uh, to try to deter them, to punish them if they continue to to send those goods. But they primarily send it to Mexico. Why? Because the Chinese realize the easiest, quickest, most effective way into the United States is via the open southern border. So the, the ingredients come from China into Mexico, pour into the United States. Um, And this is a a crisis that is worsening, that primarily is affecting young Americans. It's an absolute tragedy for communities in this country. And it's yet another reason. I focus mostly on the economy, but this is absolutely another reason that we must get control of our southern border and we must take control back from the Mexican cartels, which are presently running, running the scene there. Well, Steve, as always, I I appreciate uh, your perspective. You are plugged into what's happening. Uh, Thanks so much for uh, joining us this morning. You bet. Thanks for having me. 
Political commentator Steve Cortez. You can find him on Twitter at Cortez Steve. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we'll go live to the Vatican to check in with our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona, for the latest news on the Holy Father. Stay with us as Morning Air continues on this Wednesday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Rome to home. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Good to be with you. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Wednesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Now it's time to bring Rome to home for the latest news from the Vatican. We go live to the Eternal City and our Rome correspondent, Ashley Nerona. Ashley and her husband, John, founded the Truth and Beauty Project, providing Renaissance-style theological formation for visitors to Rome. You can read more about them at johnandashley.org. Good morning, Ashley. Buongiorno. Thanks so much for joining us once again from Roma. Buongiorno to you, John. Good morning on this beautiful Wednesday. Well, Ashley, this past week uh, was uh, definitely very busy and uh, Mm -hmm. action-packed. But as always, we always begin uh, here on Wednesday mornings uh, with the Holy Father. What was the focus of Pope Francis at his Wednesday general audience this morning? Well, John, you may recall that last week he informed us that his catechesis on discernment was coming to an end. And so today started a new series on apostolic zeal. So apostolic zeal is what he called the very oxygen of Christian life. He called it the measure of the church's spiritual health. And today, Pope Francis began at the audience by describing what he called the key missionary dimensions of apostolic zeal. Now, one of those dimensions is passion. And he said that the Holy Spirit shapes the evangelization process. And that process moves outward from the person to the world and inspires in that person a witness of Jesus that is contagious, so that this way God's light reaches all the way to the ends of the earth. But then another key dimension of apostolic zeal, he says, is joy. And to illustrate that, he recalled the words of the late Pope Benedict, who said that apostolic apostolic zeal, quote, proclaims Jesus not by proselytism, but by attraction out of a joyful desire to share with others the loving gaze of Jesus and the call to follow him as disciples. And then Pope Francis went on from there. He said the next key dimension to apostolic zeal is remembering the end game, which is, of course, the attainment of heaven. And he said that it's natural that at times of that fervor, that sense of fervor to share the good news of the gospel can diminish. And then when that happens, the Christian life suffers too. It can even wither. But he said it's important to keep in mind that eternal life for you and eternal life for others is what this is all about. And that is what actually gives that oxygen to Christian life. That's what invigorates and purifies the Christian life. So then uh, where does one begin in the in this journey to invigorate apostolic zeal? Well, the Pope today said that 
you should start with scripture. Start with the church's living tradition as well. And with this, you will develop a passion for the gospel. And Pope Francis spoke specifically of Matthew, Matthew the tax collector who Jesus called, and saying that the calling of Matthew was a reminder to the faithful of Jesus' mercy and that every man and woman is loved by God and is called to spread the good news. And then at this point in the audience today, the Pope issued a challenge. He suggested that everyone ask themselves, how do I look upon others like the St. Matthews of the world? How do I see other people's faults? Do I label them? Or do I have an open and a merciful heart and try to understand who they are, to understand their situation and their needs? So ultimately, the point of departure for all this, where to begin that witness in building your own apostolic zeal. The Pope said it's, a, it's an easy place to start. He said, simply witness every day to the beauty of the love that has looked upon you and lifted you up. He said, you don't have to wait until you're perfect but you should start today, John. Well, Ashley, I think that this is a great uh, catechesis and reminder by the Holy Father that uh, it, it, is, uh, it is not optional to share the gospel. This was a, the, uh, the great command of our Lord to make disciples of, of all nations. So uh, every one of us can do a little something. Yeah, that's right. And in fact, today the Pope spoke about how when Jesus called Matthew to leave his tax office to follow him, all Matthew did was he rose. He just rose up to his feet. And that shows how Matthew responded affirmatively and passionately to that call of Jesus. And so in other words, that's all that's being asked of us too, is to rise up and follow. And the, the Holy Father also uh, drew from a, a Pope Benedict, who's been on our minds uh, in the last week uh, with his teaching on uh, the difference between um, evangelization and uh, proselytism. Mm, yes, exactly. And uh, this, this whole idea of the importance of making sure that not only are we speaking the truth, but also making sure that our lives are reflecting the truth in everything that we do. Uh, meanwhile, um, we got word yesterday of, of the death of uh, Cardinal Pell. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk about uh, uh, this uh, bishop, this uh, cardinal who uh, obviously had to go through uh, a really, really difficult time with some false accus accusations? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, sadly, Cardinal Pell passed last night. It was almost 9 p.m. Uh, he, of course, was 81 years old. and you know, we, we remember him in, in his most recent position as the prefect for the Secretariat of the Economy here at the Vatican from 2014 to 19. And this, we could say, was completely unexpected. It was it was from complications after a hip operation. Uh, he suffered cardiac arrest. He had just celebrated the funeral mass of Pope Benedict and, you know, spoken so fondly of their friendship and his respect for, for Pope Benedict. You know, Cardinal Pell was a man of huge everything. He, he had a huge stature. He had a huge character. He was really larger than life. I, I have interviewed him on multiple occasions, broken bread with him. Uh, John, my husband, John, and I saw him in October again in November, had to chat about some financial issues. And because when my husband, John, was a, a papal consultant at the Vatican. He worked closely with Cardinal Pell. Pell was the go-to person to get 
to get those hard to get documents from dicasteries to get things done. He was really known for uh, encouraging honesty and transparency in the Vatican finances. And that was especially after he became Pope Francis' first ever secretary for the economy. And he was also known, not a lot of people know, he was known for his dry sense of humor. He had a great wit. <laughs> I always enjoyed that. He was known for his deep love of Christ and also that he took his role as a bishop and cardinal very seriously, as well as his duty to transmit and defend the faith. And uh, one of the, the TV interviews I did with him was after his return to Rome, after he was imprisoned in Australia for 404 days. Uh, and that's what you were referring to, John. You know, some of that those days were he was in solitary confinement. And that's, of course, um, he came to Rome after he was acquitted, after, when it was found that the, he was wrongfully charged um, on those abuse charges. And during that time there in prison, he had written three volumes of memoirs, a prison journal. And he did it. He said he did it because he thought it might be helpful for others who are in difficulty, for people who are going through a time of suffering, a time of darkness like he was. And the conditions of the prison, he said, weren't that bad. He said he had his own kettle to make tea when he wanted. But the most painful part of it all was that he could not offer mass in jail because he was not allowed to access wine for use in the consecration. And uh, he also loved cricket. That was also a popular topic of, of conversation that we've talked about over the years. He himself was a rugby player, actually. But when uh, when the Vatican cricket team played the House of Windsor in English in England, I mean, he celebrated mass on an altar on an altar in Westminster Abbey, where there hadn't been a mass celebrated catholic mass celebrated in 500 years wow it was really exciting yeah and i spoke to his acting secretary this morning by text he said he met with cardinal pell the day before the surgery and, and the cardinal had a lot of things planned and some of those things they'll still be able to get done but in in the words uh, of this man he says but now he'll be able to see the god that he lived for and he defended and john i had to tell you that one of my most memorable Cardinal Pell moments was at an event where he was asked a question about one of the, quote, difficult teachings of the church. And, and he had a great answer. He said, there's many hard teachings of Christ. And he said, and I, and I wish they were softer, but as for me, I'm going to stick with Christ. So, of course, sort of reflective of the words of Joshua, like me and my household, I will serve the Lord. So I think today, as we mourn the loss of this great and noble man, we can remember those simple words every day and which actually make things quite simple i'm going to stick with christ no one knows the day or the hour and uh, mm. one um, other note about cardinal pell uh, that while he was in prison he forgave his accuser which uh, i think mm. you talk about sticking with christ very christ-like yes indeed he really he really is a model for all of us and um yeah, we were seeing the end of an era in a lot of ways. And how ironic uh, that uh, he was able to to celebrate uh, the funeral mass of, uh, mm -hmm. of Pope Benedict XVI. Uh, any thoughts uh, on uh, Pope Benedict and uh, what's happened uh, since the funeral? Uh, 
Well, since the funeral, of course, the, the thing that, that people are appreciating now is the opportunity to make pilgrimage to the tomb of Pope Benedict XVI. And that is, of course, in the crypt underneath the main floor of St. Peter's Basilica. His tomb is actually less than 50 feet from the bones of St. Peter himself. So again, he's I know that spot very well. That's where uh, yes, JP2 used to be uh, initially. You got it. Exactly. JP2 was there. St. John the 23rd was there as well. And that is before their remains were moved to the upper part of the basilica when they were beatified. So for those who haven't been to the crypts to understand it, this is an area that's filled with small chapels. And there are various tombs of popes, also uh, of noble families who are buried there as well. So after the funeral on Thursday, it was closed for several days. And again, it, it was open to the public at 9 a.m. Sunday for people to start visiting. There was a lot of criticism because uh, that meant that all of those who had flown in from different parts of the world to be there for the funeral uh, most likely had to leave by Sunday and were not able to visit the tomb. But nevertheless, um, on his tomb, we see the words Benedictus PP, period, and then the Roman numeral 16. And the PP uh, stands for something very simple, stands for Papa. Uh, that's what the old Catholic encyclopedia uh, says, that those PP simply stands for Papa. And next to him is Queen Christina of Sweden. She abdicated her throne to become Catholic. She died, uh, and then she died back in eight, uh, 1689. But then in the wall above Benedict's tomb, there is a, a base relief sculpture of Our Lady holding her baby Jesus and flanked by angels. And so now we have the opportunity to go visit, to pray, to spend some time and continue prayers for his eternal rest that he may rest in peace. May he rest in peace, and I'm sure that the the lines uh, will uh, begin to yes. to grow uh, in the coming mm -hmm. weeks and months. Uh, he, Pope Benedict XVI will not be forgotten. Now, as of Monday, Italy started to dismantle its uh, Christmas markets, but in the churches, uh, the celebrations continue. I understand. Yes. Uh, what is happening? Uh, how was Epiphany <laughs> celebrated there? Yes. Well, John, in the churches, in fact, like you said, the celebrations will go on all the way until the 2nd of February as we will celebrate the entire liturgical Christmas season here. That means the nativity scenes stay up, the Christmas decorations stay up, and we will continue to sing Christmas songs, especially Italy's favorite song written by St. Alphonsus Liguori, Tuscendi dalle Stelle. And uh, indeed, how is Epiphany celebrated here? Well, first of all, uh, on uh, <clears throat> Two days after Epiphany on Sunday morning, Pope Francis baptized 13 infants to celebrate the feast of the baptism of our Lord. So that happened in the Sistine Chapel. And these are our children of employees. Now, on the Epiphany itself, all of Italy was in celebration. And it's because in addition to many cities and towns doing processions where they recreate the, the movements of the three magi, bringing their gifts to the baby Jesus, there's also another interesting uh, legend that is celebrated, and it's the legend of the Bafana. So John, the story goes like this, that the three wise men were on their way to find the baby Jesus, to find where he was born. 
And they stopped at a house to ask directions of this old woman who lived alone and was quite busy doing her housework. Well, she gave them great hospitality, and in turn, they invited her to join them on their journey to visit this newborn king. Well, she said, you know what? I am just too busy. I have too much housework. I couldn't possibly find the time. So they carried on. And as soon as they did, she regretted it. She realized that this was not just any baby. This was the savior of the world. So she decided to set off on her own journey to try to find them. She brought a bag of gifts for this newborn savior of the world. She jumped on her broomstick and began to fly. And she didn't have directions to get to Bethlehem, though. So she got a little bit turned around. But on the way, she visited all kinds of houses looking for Jesus. And she dropped off presents for good little girls and boys. So the story of the Bafana is also celebrated on the 6th, and Italian kids very much look forward to the presents that they'll wake up to on that morning. And on the, on the morning of the 6th here in Rome, there was a big event in Piazza Navona, where a woman uh, dressed in rags with a hook nose actually was lowered off of a building by a crane <laughs> representing the Bafana in her flight as she looked for the newborn Christ child. Uh, John and I, my husband John and I, had the opportunity to attend a beautiful mass with Cardinal Burke, and he talked about the importance of fixing our gaze on the light, finding Christ just like the Magi did, and worshiping him with the gift of our whole hearts. That is the gift that each of us can offer to Jesus. And there after the mass, they blessed the chalk so that people uh, throughout the city could take it home and put epiphany blessings on their own door frames. So that's something all of us can do at home too, John. What a blessing uh, for you and John. And uh, <laughs> I love uh, the fact that uh, in the churches in Rome, the celebration continues in until yes. February 2nd. Unfortunately, I took down my nativity scene yesterday following the uh, the normal liturgical year, but it sounds like Rome is following the traditional uh, uh, old uh, Latin calendar with uh, with the uh, celebration ending on February 2nd with Candle Mass. That's right. In fact, the celebration continues. Thanks so much. Grazie, grazie, Ashley, as always, for bringing Rome to home to our audience. Well, it's a joy to be with you. Many blessings. Thanks again. Ashley Narona, our Rome correspondent who joins us every Wednesday from the Eternal City. You can listen to her reports on the Relevant Radio app. Just go to Relevant in Rome. We need to take a short break. When Morning Air continues, Professor Annabelle Mosley uh, will be with us to talk about the saints of January that offer wisdom about how to keep your resolutions in this new year. So stay with us. There's much more to come as Morning Air continues on this Wednesday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This is Morning Air, your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I was feeling and welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Good to be with you on this Wednesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from 2 Timothy 3.16. The Apostle St. Paul writes at the beginning, uh, he actually writes... All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Yes, indeed. In fact, at the beginning of this new year, we hope that Catholics read, study, and pray God's Word more and more every day. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, this is the month of January. We've already had some big feast days like the Holy Name of Jesus, the Epiphany of our Lord, and the Baptism of the Lord. January is also the month when we think about making new resolutions and new goals for this new year. Joining us live is our regular contributor, Professor Annabelle Mosley, to share a little bit on the saints in January that can offer us wisdom about how to keep our resolutions in this new year. Annabelle Mosley is the author of Sacred Braille, The Rosary as Masterpiece, and Our House of the Sacred Heart. She is a professor of theology, wife and mother, and the creator of the Bethany Plan, offering busy Catholics a Christ-centered way to find balance. Good morning, Professor Annabelle. Happy New Year. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you once again here at the start of this new year. Oh, Happy New Year, John. It's great to be with you. Did you make any uh, resolutions this year? I did. We always do. (laughs) Yes. How about yourself? Uh, Yes, and I actually uh, shared it the other day real simple. Just want to read Scripture more and uh, uh, work out more. If I can do those two things, uh, I think think I'm I'm doing pretty good. What about you? Oh, those are mine. That's great. We're trying to read the the Bible every day with our kids. And uh, my husband and I are also trying to work out more, too. Oh, Every per- day. perfect. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Um, let's uh, let's start uh, with uh, this month's uh, saints. Uh, we're going to begin with a socialite convert uh, whose feast day we celebrated just uh, last week on January 4th, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. What can you tell us about this American saint? Oh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton is so fascinating. So she was a wealthy socialite. She was from a prominent American family. She married William Seton, and she had five children. But she really made her whole life based upon being obedient to God. And so she was in for some surprises. You know, when she put herself totally in God's will, you, you get surprised. Um, she She traveled to Italy and didn't think she was going there for anything more than a trip that she needed to take with her husband for work. And she made friends with some of, the, of, of his Italian associates, and they converted her to Catholicism. She had become a widow. Uh, her husband died not long after they got to Italy. And just by going with the will of God, she found herself hearing that will, converting her to Catholicism. She left the Episcopalian church into which she'd been born. And she was, she actually said this, she said, I will go peaceably and firmly to the Catholic church for a faith is so important to our salvation. I'll seek it where true faith first began. I will seek it among those who received it from God himself. Great saint, much that we can learn about uh, seeking uh, God's will every single day from St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Now, our second saint that we're going to talk about that we're going to be celebrating tomorrow, uh, indeed, she was a a holy matchmaker. Can you talk about St. Marguerite uh, Bourgeois? Sure, sure. She was born in France. 
She was part of a big family. But then she had this opportunity. The governor of Montreal invited her to travel to what was then called New France, Canada, to start up a mission and a school there. So this saint recruited other women to serve as teachers alongside herself. And then she started this interesting ministry where she cared for women who had traveled from France to Canada. They were looking to marry in Canada. They wanted to help start some of the colony's first families. So St. Marguerite ensured that these matches would be holy. She interviewed potential suitors for the women and made sure that each match was based on virtue, holiness, that everyone had their best intentions. And, and really, she formed some very holy marriages and very happy, loving marriages. So that's very um, interesting and special. She's sort of a holy matchmaker. And then her community of women became an official group of secular sisters known as the Congregation of Notre Dame. Her real calling, though, was, and we can see this across her whole life, love of neighbor, love God and love love neighbor too. And she says, it's true, I've, I've always desired that the great precept of the love of God and the love of neighbor be written in every heart. That sounds like a great uh, resolution for all of us to try to love God and love our neighbor uh, more uh, in this new year. Now, Absolutely. coming up uh, a little bit later on January 17th, we're going to be celebrating the Feast of the Father of Monasticism, St. Anthony uh, the Abbot. Uh, tell us about him. Wow, he's amazing. So St. Anthony the Abbot was at Mass one day and heard the words of Jesus read in Matthew 19.21. If you wish to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So Anthony literally did just that. He was enormously wealthy. He sold everything he'd inherited, and he went out into the desert to live. Uh, followers came after him, and so St. Anthony of the Desert became known as the father of monasticism. And you know, I love what he tells us. This is great advice for the new year. He says, the devil is afraid of us when we pray and make sacrifices. He is also afraid when we're humble and good. He's especially afraid when we love Jesus very much, and he runs away when we make the sign of the cross. I love it. Uh, a great reminder of the power of, of the sign of the cross. Now, coming up on uh, January 20th, we're going to celebrate uh, the feast of a very famous martyr, St. Sebastian. Uh, who was St. Sebastian? Sure. And, and St. Sebastian, you're right. He's easily one of the most famous of all Catholic martyrs. He's frequently depicted in classic works of art um, all throughout art history, bearing the many wounds of his martyrdom. He was just covered with arrows, an onslaught of arrows were sent to kill him. And he this, this was during the persecutions of Diocletian. He kept living no matter how many arrows were, were sent to kill him. Um, it, was, it was a miracle that took place, and he was finally beaten to death. But with his last words, he showed unbelievable love of neighbor, just tremendous forgiveness. Um, one that I think really is, it, it makes it a reminder for us for the new year to just forgive. Because his dying words were this, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge, reminding us that it's principalities we fight, not people, and um, really giving us that model of, of true forgiveness. Reminiscent uh, of our blessed Lord's uh, f final seven words on the cross uh, as well. Absolutely. Now, uh, coming up at the end of the month on January 28th, we're going to celebrate the Feast of Blessed Archangela. Uh, maybe some of our listeners are not familiar with her. What can you tell us about Blessed Archangela? 
I love her so much. It might be because I'm a third order Carmelite and she's a Carmelite, but I think everyone is just going to fall in love with Blessed Archangela and want to know her better. So she teaches that we must always leave our plans to the will of God, which is a wonderful circling back to how we began this segment about the will of God. Um, she was on her way, Blessed Archangela, on her way to join a Benedictine monastery. And she was known for having a really obedient horse, very sweet horse, did whatever she asked. The horse suddenly refused to move. And she was smart enough and holy enough to take this as a sign that God had other plans for her. So instead of continuing on her way, she returned home and prayed for guidance. And in time, she met a Carmelite monk who introduced her to Carmelite sisters. And she took this as the sign of God's will for her life. And uh, there is much that we can learn from her example. Absolutely. And, you know, her last words were, Jesus, my love. And it reminds me of the dying words of our, our, our beloved Pope Benedict um, when he died, famously now saying, Jesus, I love you. Blessed Archangela said, Jesus, my love. And she said it so many times as she died. Uh, what a wonderful witness of love and of doing the will of God in love. I was so moved uh, by uh, hearing about those last words of, uh, of Pope Benedict XVI, Jesus, I love I you. Know. I mean, my only wish is that I say those same words uh, when I uh, bre breathe my last. Me too, John. I thought the same thing. I thought I want to re remember that and, and kind of seal that on my heart. I agree with you. What a beautiful way to, to breathe forth our, our last um, pledge of love to our Lord. It really was so moving. Uh, real quick, uh, in January, it's also a great time uh, to uh, continue to grow in our devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Can you tell us about how we can get plugged into your uh, Bethany plan? Sure. You can visit BethanyPlan.com, and there's actually a 33-day consecration to the Sacred Heart available for free there. It's 33 days of podcasts with music and uh, reflections, and it's a wonderful way to set us up for the month of February, which is famously dedicated to love. Let's put it on course to be the best love, love of Jesus, in that example of Pope Benedict. Thanks so much, uh, Professor Annabelle. Always a joy to be with you. A joy to be with you, John. Thank you so much. God Professor bless you. Annabelle Mosley, the author of Sacred Braille, The Rosary as a Masterpiece. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Clean Your Windows. A young couple moved into a new neighborhood. The next morning, while they were eating breakfast, the young woman saw her neighbor hanging her wash to dry. That laundry is not very clean, she said. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs better laundry soap. Her husband looked on but remained silent. Every time her neighbor hung her wash to dry, the young woman repeated her observations about the dirty laundry. But a month later, the woman was surprised to see a nice clean wash on the line and said to her husband, look, she's learned how to wash correctly. I wonder who taught her this. The husband said, I got up early this morning and cleaned our windows. From Matthew 7, 1 through 5, Stop judging that you may not be judged. For as you judge, so will you be judged. With the measure with which you measure will be measured out to you. Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the wooden beam in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me remove that splinter from your eye, while the wooden beam is in your eye? You hypocrites, remove the wooden beam from your eye first, then you'll see clearly to remove the splinter from your brother's eye. 
powerful scripture. Thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Coming up next hour here on Morning Air, our spiritual director, Father Marcel Tyone, will join us to discuss the benefits of complaining less or stopping complaining altogether here in the new year. And our personal success coach, Dave Duran, will tell us about five things that limit our success, uh, including in our family and in our faith, as well as in secular things. So stay with us. There is much more to come here on this Wednesday as Morning Air continues on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.